Good morning. morning. Let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father, we so need your presence. We ask that your angels will be sent to put a shield of protection around us and our friends all over the world, that your spirit will enlighten and transform and empower us to discern truth and to live the truth. And in the face of uh, criticism and opposition, we pray that you'll join us in our study today. Uh, There's so many of our friends around the world have emailed us this week that are struggling in circumstances and situations, and they've asked for prayer. And you know each one of their circumstances, give them the wisdom that they need, give them the strength to stand true to to your call for their life. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson 11 in the quarterly rest in Christ, and it's uh, entitled Longing for More. And um, I got to tell you, I've been very disturbed this week. I have received so many emails, phone calls, texts uh, from listeners, uh, nurses, doctors, listeners uh, who are under threat of losing their jobs. Uh, who are distraught about mandates, uh, or others, others have expressed frustration at me for talking about COVID and not just talking about the Bible. Got those emails and those complaints. But remember what Ellen White wrote in education. There, there are two antagonistic principles at war and they enter into every phase of human experience. Every face. Right now, we are deciding on which side of the equation, whose side we're going to be on by the methods we practice in our life and how we treat others. So when we talk about these real-life events, we're, we're primarily talking about what methods as followers of Christ do we utilize in governance of ourselves and how we address these issues. I've been very distraught um, and spent a lot of time in prayer, I'm talking to the Lord about how to address these things. I received this email this week, and uh, the writer uh, writes, Is it possible you could give some encouragement? <laughs> it seems during this Sabbath school time there's representation of the end-time fear, and now I'm thinking that evil is more powerful than God. He goes on to say, I realize Adventists have heard the, this end of the world stuff all their lives and are used to it and mostly ignore it, still go on living their lives. Uh, I understand the need to get the end time message out. However, if you could offer some hope, okay? And so I thought, well, you know what? I appreciate that recommendation, and and um, I, I want to offer some hope. And I, I will tell you, for many of us that have grown up in the end time perspective, we hear these warnings, these events happening in the automatically we do, at least I do, under the umbrella of the metaphor that Jesus used when he gave in Matthew 24 and, and Luke 21, he gave the end time uh, a description of the events happening. He used the metaphor of a woman going into labor. And, and women who have uh, already uh, given birth in your life, do you remember when labor came and you had your first pains? Did you say, dear Lord, please can we put this off nine more months? <laughs> Let's just delay another nine months, please. I don't, I don't know one woman who's, who does that. But you know it's going to be painful. You know it's going to be, but you're still ready to go through it, aren't you? And even though it's painful, you, there's some part of you is looking forward to it because you know what comes at the end. And what comes at the end is delivery. And so when we see these events happening, we are to understand them in the context of the labor pains that lead to delivery from all the pain, all the suffering. And, and so there's always an, an inherent, if you have that perspective, there's an inherent hope always. We know what's coming. The hope is built in if we have that. But if a woman was pregnant, but she didn't know she was pregnant, and you've heard a few cases of somebody showing up who was quite overweight and didn't even realize she was pregnant, and she goes into labor pain without realizing what's happening... There's no hope there. There's just terror and fear. And so sometimes people, as they're approaching these end times events, and they see the wars and rumors of wars. We haven't heard anything about wars this week and people being killed in conflict zones, have we? We see about terrible fires happening uh, with the largest fires ever in certain states and whole uh, little towns being burned down. We see hurricanes coming in to destroy cities that have already been destroyed by cities. We see this stuff happening. We have pandemics to deal with. It can be very terrifying unless we understand these are the labor pains that are leading to delivery. And Jesus said at this time, when you see these things take place, Luke twenty-one twenty-eight, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So our hope is not in ourselves, it's not in our bank accounts, it's not in our church institutions, it's not in our governments. Our hope is in Jesus. He will never leave us and forsake us. And here's a couple of historic quotes. First is Review and Herald, uh, April 18, 1907. 
In the hour of greatest need, when discouragement overwhelms the soul, then it is that Jesus comes very near. The hour of man's necessity is God's opportunity. He sees our danger and provides help for us. Unseen by us, he saves us from the foe. And one more, Ministry of Healing 249. None need abandon themselves to discouragement and despair. There is hope for you in Christ. God does not bid us overcome in our own strength. He asks us to come close to his side. Whatever difficulties we labor under, which weigh down soul and body, he waits to make us free. So, but I understand what this means at this time in history that as a means of spreading the gospel, the good news, the light that lightens the world, Jesus needs people who trust him so much that they can stand firm for him in the face of trials. He needs Daniels. He needs Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He needs people in the face of threats and conflicts who won't bend the knee. As Ellen White says in education, who are as true to duty as the needle to the pole. And it's through their witness they will be called to councils and to other places where they will be able to give the witness of God's methods in complete difference to the worldly methods. And so he's allowing events to unfold so that the the refining process can happen, characters can be solidified, we can stand up and give the witness, and the world will be light and he will come. Yes. So if you look at the flood, there was a terrible catastrophic flood coming, climate change was coming, and God provided a way through. Noah and his family weren't hurt at all by it. They, were, they had a way through this cataclysm. And if you look at the Israelites leaving Egypt, faced with the Red Sea and mountains on either side and an enemy behind them, God provided a way through. None of them were hurt. And then, so I think those are examples for the end of time, is that even though it feels like you're hemmed in on every side, God provides a way. Well, that's perfect, because our, we're in Sunday's lesson, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11, it asks us to look at this, and we'll read a le- verses 11 to 13. Uh, and keep in mind what, what Linda just said. Th- these things, talking about the things of the Old Testament, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Do you find hope in this passage? Mm -hmm. And those examples that she just gave are exactly the type of examples that Paul's referring to, that when times are tough, remember God delivers his people. And then in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, we're encouraged with these words. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We are not abandoned. We are not cast off. But Satan is like a roaring lion inciting fear. That's what the lion's roar does. It makes you afraid to get us to choose in fear to run away from God, to doubt God's protection, to run away from God's methods, to try to save ourselves in some way. Go back to Egypt. Go back to Egypt. And it's time that when the fear rises, that we spend more time in prayer, more time in the Word, less time focused on the threats and more time focused on our Savior. Remember Hezekiah. And the Assyrian army surrounding uh, Jerusalem. He brought out the singers and they sang praises. And God delivered. They didn't focus on the threat. They focused on the deliverer. Paul reminds us that ancient Israel is an example to us and God will not forsake us or allow us to be tempted more than we can bear. We'll always provide a way out for those who trust him. And then Paul goes on in chapter 11 or excuse me, uh, chapter 10, yeah, chapter 10, Paul says the following. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if another, if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience. I mean, the other man's conscience, not yours. For why should I 
my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Consider what's happening here. When Paul references the these things were given as example stuff, references the Old Testament to these people, is Paul giving them an Old Testament Bible history study course? Or is he taking the truths of God, the principles of God that were being uh, uh, demonstrated in the lives of people in the Old Testament and saying these are examples and then he's applying them to their real world situations they were dealing with in their day? What was happening? Read the New Testament. Is Paul dealing with just history? Let's learn Bible history. Or is he taking the examples of history to find the truths that are applicable in how the Christian lives their life in the real world? understand today we are to be doing the same thing if paul came here if god somehow transported paul through time and paul were to be here teaching us today do you think it would simply be a review of god's history of the past or we'd review that history to learn lessons about how we as christians in the world today apply those same principles in what we're dealing with in our life do you realize i get feedback from people when i'm trying to apply these principles in real world decision making today Stop doing that. Just focus on the Bible. That is not the focus of the Bible to focus on it as some historical document that you memorize the, 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 the proof text for some historical understanding. The whole purpose of the Bible is how we take godly principles and live them out in our life. That's his purpose. Thank you for that. We cannot win God's cause or fulfill God's purpose by practicing Satan's methods. We can't do it. It doesn't matter how good the goal is. If you're trying to achieve the goal with Satan's methods, then you're not on God's side. Paul is talking here in this text we just read about foods offered to idols, saying that uh, in his spiritual understanding, the idol is nothing but a piece of wood, a piece of metal, piece of stone. It has no impact on the quality of the food. Therefore, he can eat it and not worry anything about it. It's just food. But if he was with someone who believed in the idol and told him the food was offered to the idol, and therefore, if Paul ate that food and the other person would come to believe that Paul's wisdom and strength and vitality and energy were coming from the blessings of this idol, that would introduce falsehood into the mind of that person. And Paul, in good conscience, cannot collude with that. So while the idol can do nothing to the quality of the food, the belief in the idol can do something to the quality of the person's mind and character. I'm going to say that again. While the idol can do nothing to the quality of the food, the belief in the idol can do something to the quality of the mind and character. For Paul, this issue wasn't about the quality of the food, but the spiritual impact the belief about idols have on the heart and mind. That doesn't mean there aren't Bible-based, fact-based discussions to be had about healthful living and foods. Those, those discussions are to be had, but not in this text. That's not what this text is about. Paul is focused on a higher principle and focuses on a higher principle, and it is whatever we do, Wherever we do it, do it to the glory of God. Each one of us must decide under the dictates of our own conscience what is best in how we govern ourselves and how we honor God with our lives. And we must leave others free to decide for themselves, persuade with evidence, present truth and love, but every person be fully persuaded, leave free. In this case, the focus was on food, but the issue was not about nutrition or physical health. It was about worship. Pagan worship, following false, allowing false ideas to enter the mind, standing up for truth about God in this context of eating, not allowing food that would cause others to think that the idol is real. So you made a decision about food to prevent false ideas from entering somebody else's mind if you knew that was going to be the case. Does this mean Paul takes no position on our, the physical aspects of our being and our health and how we use our bodies? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Present our bodies to God is an act of spiritual worship and is connected with the renewing of our minds. Anything that undermines our physical health necessarily diminishes our usefulness for God's cause. We're less fit to carry out whatever duties he gives us. Further, whatever impacts our bodies in a negative way makes it harder to think and to discern truth. It undermines resolve and weakens the will. We're more vulnerable to temptation. So maintaining our physical health puts us in the best position to fulfill God's calling for our life. What does it mean to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Does this have anything to do with a health message? To caring for the spirit temple? Who decides for whom what somebody puts in their body? If you're an SDA leader... who won't give a religious exemption to somebody who doesn't want to get the COVID vaccine, I've got a question for you. Would you give your members a religious exemption if they were required by their government or employer to do any of the following? Eat one piece of pork. Drink one glass of alcoholic wine. Smoke one cigarette. If their employer required them to do any of those things, would you give them a a letter of conscientious objection? Now, which of the following has the potential to do more harm to their spirit temples? Eating one piece of pork, drinking one glass of wine, smoking one cigarette, or getting an experimental vaccine with no long-term safety data? If a person has a conscientious objective to each of them, what happens in their minds and hearts if they're coerced and pressured to comply with something they don't believe in. Is it good for their character development to crush them under pressure to get them to surrender their decision-making? Why would you, Adventist leader, support such methodologies? Why would you give a letter of conscientious objection to the first three with no risk of actual harm to them. But you wouldn't for an action that has the potential to kill them. Why wouldn't you support them in their decision-making on which risks they believe God wants them to take with their body? Why don't you stand by them as they decide what the Holy Spirit convicts them to do and how they glorify God with their body. Certainly someone will suggest it's because the first three actions impact only themselves. While COVID vaccine is designed to benefit others. So even though the vaccines have risks, one might argue that because it may benefit others, it is is righteous to compel compliance for the sake of stopping disease and benefiting others. Keep that argument in mind. Because I'm going to unpack that in a few moments and show you that that argument is a lie from Satan. Consider this historic quote from Zyre of Ages 550. In matters of conscience, the soul must be untrammeled, meaning unrestrained. No one is in control of another's mind to judge for another or to prescribe his duty. God gives every soul freedom to think and to follow his own convictions. Every one of us shall give account to himself to God. No one has a right to merge his own individuality in that of another. In all matters where principle is involved, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Romans 14. In Christ's kingdom, there is no lordly oppression. No compulsion of manner. The angels of heaven do not come to the earth to rule and to exact homage 
but as messengers of mercy to cooperate with men in the uplifting of humanity. We do not, if we, if we are part of the kingdom of heaven, use the methods of the world to compel conscience. We just don't do it. Now, class, have any of you been confused about the data around COVID and COVID vaccines? Let's be gracious and be gracious to our church leaders, our community leaders, our local health officials, those who are willing to compel others. For the vast majority, I believe they really want to do what's right. And I'm sure most are making the decisions they truly believe are best. And many are confused by the debate and the plethora of data out there. I know doctors who are confused by all this. So it's a virtual certainty that our Non-medical church leaders are going to be confused. There are several reasons for this confusion. I'm going to go through five reasons for this confusion. Why there's such confusion. Number one, there is an active misinformation campaign going on. Purposeful falsehoods have been put out by the government agencies that we are supposed to trust. I can document those falsehoods. In fact, I'm going to expose some of the duplicity here as we go along. Because if I don't give documentation, I'm just making claims. But purposeful falsehoods by government agencies and professional medical outlets, and I hope you go back and read the blog I put out a week and a half ago where I actually document some of this as well. To include peer-reviewed journals. Do you remember the two articles that came out in The Lancet and the uh, New England Journal of Medicine? citing a study of 90,000 people in multiple countries that hydroxychloroquine uh, is dangerous and kills people. Both studies were retracted when someone challenged them because they were fraudulent. There was no evidence. They were made up. That's a misinformation campaign. Published by peer review. Do you understand how hard it is to get an article in a peer-reviewed journal like the Lancet and New England Journal? If I were to write an article and submit it, do you know it's virtually impossible that it would get, get published? It goes through layer after layer after layer of review. For these two, this is not an accident. They just happened to get in there. It was purposeful decision-making to publish those without any substantial evidence to confirm them. In fact, they were all just made up. They just made up the numbers out of nothing. They just sat around a table made them up. But that kind of information gets out there and gets people's minds. It was publicized widely by the media. Everybody was told the information frightened people. And then when the retractions came, you didn't get the same publicity to, uh, to assure people it's one of the safest medicines ever in the history of, of mankind. You didn't get that. You didn't get the 200 studies that show it's effective in the treatment of COVID in, early, in the early treatment uh, as part of a protocol. You didn't get that information. Active misinformation campaign going on. Suppression of evidence uh, and allows lies and misunderstanding and confusion to persist. But this alone, just the misinformation campaign, would not be sufficient for the church leadership to be confused as they are. This misinformation campaign is occurring in conjunction with several other practices that the church should be protected from, but instead the church is complicit in promoting. And that's why we're in this problem. Second one. Authority-based decision-making rather than truth-evidence-based decision-making. Too many people have practiced authority-based decision-making, meaning they have learned to trust some person with a higher degree or education or training or position or office, pastor, conference leader, uh, biblical research institute director, uh, pope, priest, somebody, CDC head director, NIH head director, somebody, with more education, they know I trust their judgment. They can discern for me. But this is contrary to the biblical teaching that every person is to develop their own critical reasoning skills by practice, Hebrews 5.14. Remember this historic quote that comes uh, out of Second Testimony 129. If we mistake the wisdom of man for the wisdom of God, we are led astray by the foolishness of man's wisdom. In other words, trusting someone else to think for you. Here is the great danger of many in, I'm going to just say, the world today. They have not an experience for themselves. They have not been in the habit of prayerfully considering for themselves with unprejudiced, unbiased judgment questions and subjects that are new and ever liable to arise. New. Maybe, maybe like COVID? 
It's a new question. We haven't had that one before. How do we do with that? Well, we will see what happens here. They wait to see what others will think. If these dissent, that's all that's needed to convince them that the subject under consideration is no account whatever, although this class is large, it does not change the fact that they are inexperienced and weak-minded through long yielding to the enemy will always be as sickly as babes, walking by others' light, living on others' experience, feeling as others feel, acting as others act. They act as though they had not an individuality. Their identity is submerged in others. They are mere shadows of those who they think are right. Unless these become sensible of their wavering character and correct it, they will all fail of everlasting life. They will be unable to cope with the perils of the last day. They will possess no stamina to resist the devil, for they do not know that it is he. Someone must be at their side to inform them of whether a foe or friend is approaching. They are not spiritual, therefore spiritual things are not discerned. Do you understand what spiritual warfare is? Many people are confused. They think spiritual warfare is about getting the right Bible doctrines with the right proof text. That is not spiritual warfare, folks. Think about the people who crucified Christ. Every one of their doctrines, they had the right Sabbath, they had the right health message, they had the right sanctuary, they had the right sacrificial stuff, they had the right ritualistic holidays that they kept, they had the right tithe, they had, the, they had all the right Bible doctrines. That is not what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is a battle for your heart and mind. What character you develop by the methods you employ? Do you embrace the methods of God revealed in Christ, practiced by God and how he dealt with Lucifer in heaven. Truth, love, freedom. He did not coerce Lucifer. He did not censor Lucifer. The truth ultimately wins out when the truth can be presented openly and honestly. But if you have no truth, you have to use the methods of deceit. You have to use the methods of silencing. You have to use the methods of, of censorship. And one of his methods, get somebody in a position of authority to make edicts. And people surrender their thinking to that person. The Protestant Reformation was a rebellion against this type of thinking. This type of surrendering to others is part of a long history of religion. They criticized um, Jesus because he hadn't gone to their seminary. He, who is this man having never learned? How can he teach anything? We've gotten criticized here by people who teach the legal view because I don't have a degree in theology. How can I possibly know anything at all about the Bible and God because I don't have a degree in theology? Notice the arguments aren't based on the truth itself. They didn't meet Jesus' truth for truth, reality for reality. They accused him of not having the authority to teach because he didn't have the degree. This is historic. This is a type of thinking that's part of Romanism. Romanism, an authoritarian head, makes a ruling about what's orthodoxy and everyone else, by the law of the canon law, is required to accept it and apply it, and you can't question it. Protestant Reformation rebelled against that type of thinking and taught the priesthood of believers that every person must be fully persuaded in their own mind when it comes to matters of conscience and matters of principle, that you have an identity to develop, and it's only developed through exercise and through thinking and through evaluating. Sadly, our church leadership has rejected that view. In the Adventist Review, I think it was this week or last week, there was an article put out that this question of the vaccine is not a question of religious liberty or conscience. And in fact, the person who wrote it claims that he knows because he's done a book on the Protestant Reformation and religious liberty and that Luther was never about everybody having a priesthood of believers, that, that we all come together and we're subject to the church body and therefore those who we elect in office and who have theological degrees are to exercise some authority over our thinking. This was the general consensus of the idea. It's not true. They might exercise authority over the institution if they're in office, but they're never to exercise authority over your mind. I am not here to tell any of you what to think. I've said this 
For all of you who have been with part of our ministry from the beginning, I've said it over and over and over for all the years we've been doing this. We are not here to tell anybody what to think. You have your own mind, your own individuality. We are here to challenge you, to give you ideas, to give you perspectives, but we expect you to exercise your own God-given reasoning abilities to, to think, to weigh the evidences, and then come to your own conclusion. And we respect you to come to a conclusion, even if it's different than ours, and if you have that principle of love, then you'll come back and show the evidence of why our view can be improved. And I've had my view improved by people who've done that. I've grown over the years. But this reliance on expert opinion, a person in authority, is exactly how medicine in the United States and around the world is working today. And how COVID decisions are being made. The policies are based on expert opinion masquerading as science and not actual reproducible, testable scientific evidence. In fact, they're suppressing that type of evidence. And this is why they have to use mandates. When you don't have reproducible, testable, persuasive evidence on your side, you can't leave people free to decide for themselves. You must coerce them. This is the Dark Ages church coercing people. And this is the lockdowns, mass mandates, vaccine mandates, and why they're doing it. Third, so, third reason, selective evidence. Historic problems in theology happen when people use their proof text. A little here and a little there, pull the text together that you need to make your theological argument, but ignore the rest of it that would actually shed a different light on it. This is why there's so many denominational groups and different divisions, because we, we don't set the whatever text we're basing our theology on in the setting of the largest and the, the most complete, holistic, inspired record that we can get. We don't do it. But if we do that, then we are having a much more likelihood of coming to the best understanding. So what's happening now, and I've seen this repeatedly, there will be an article that will come out. And this article will have this conclusion. And then people will formulate a policy or a recommendation based on this article. Or this, there are two articles or three articles. But they ignore the other articles that show a different light on it. Narrow data decision-making. Selective evidence. Fourth reason. Forgetting principles because of focusing on facts. If our church leaders would recognize and prioritize the principles of God, the design laws of God, truth, we present in love, we lead people free, we never compel, recognizing that God never compels and never courses and we don't either, then we would present the medical facts, the data, we understand that it's going to be changing constantly that's what happens in medicine, and we're going to leave people free. We wouldn't get caught up in any type of, of policies and practices that violate people's consciences. Even if we don't understand it ourselves, we put principles above the facts. But that's not what we're doing. Fifth reason. Failure to use the integrative evidence-based approach. The fifth reason people are having problems in deciding what's right about COVID in addition to misinformation, trusting others to tell them, limited pieces of data, and unprincipled decision-making is that they have not embraced the integrative approach to truth. The Bible teaches God has given us three, three threads of evidence. Scripture, science and nature, and life's experiences. Ellen White wrote in Christ Object Lessons 125, the great storehouse of truth is the word of God, the written word, the book of nature, and the book of experience in God's dealing with human life. And in Education 130, rightly understood, both the revelations of science and the experiences of life are in harmony with the testimony of Scripture to the constant working of God in nature. When we separate the three threads, we know we have problems. Science alone historically leads to godlessness. Experience alone leads to mysticism and nihilism. And scripture alone leads to confusion and the fracturing of the body of Christ. But COVID has revealed a new problem when we use science divorced from scripture. And that is we develop imbalanced practices, unethical and coercive methods. In other words, if we use science without the scripture principles, we can pursue a good goal, let's save lives, good goal, by using Satan's methods of coercion, which corrupt character. Here's wisdom from one of the founders of the SCA Church in Councils on Health, page 516. The truth for this time embraces the whole gospel. Rightly presented, it will work in man the very changes that will make evident the power of God's grace upon the heart. It will do a complete work and develop a complete man. 
then let no line be drawn between the genuine medical missionary work and the gospel ministry. Let these two blend in giving the invitation, come, for all things are now ready. Let them be joined in an inseparable union, even as the arm is joined to the body. The SDA Church message, as it was given, was to be an integrative message based on design law in which medical practice, which operates on the laws of health, is merged perfectly with the gospel message, which operates on the design laws of our hearts, minds, and relationships with others. And then with this perfect message, we were to teach the 1888, that righteousness by faith, that by faith we actually become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But at 1880, our church rejected this integrated view. Our church rejected the design law view. It chose imperialism instead to go that God's law functions like human law and salvation is a legal process instead of a transformation healing process. And because of the law of worship, one of the design laws, by beholding, we become changed. When we worship an authoritarian God who is a rule giver and must use power to punish rule breakers, then we become like that authoritarian God, and we practice authoritarian measures on others. It's not a surprise that those in leadership who have rejected the design law views of God and who have embraced an imperial dictator view of God who is the source of inflicted pain, who requires the sacrifice of a sinless human being to pay him a blood debt so he won't kill us, that these people are embracing the systems of this world and find it righteous and just to coerce others to get the outcome they want. It's not surprising. By beholding, we become changed. Thus, the church, in addition to teaching a fraudulent legal plan of salvation, has become vulnerable to be co-opted by false medicine and false science and practicing methods of this world upon its employees, its students, its members, as leadership joins with the systems of the world to coerce consciences of people and advance practices that are not needed by the vast majority of those who honor God with their entire being. I'm going to pack for you now the integrative evidence approach that the Adventist church was blessed with and, had, and has an opportunity in the world right now to be advancing, which would advance the gospel, advance the three angels' message, prepare the world, but instead we have doubled down and joined with the world for a system that most people who practice the truths that we were given would not need. This is counsels to the church, page 36. God has put it in our power to obtain the knowledge of the laws of life. That, that isn't power of the doctors or the theologians. That's your power. This knowledge has been placed within our reach for use. We should employ every faculty for the restoration of health, taking every advantage possible, working in harmony with natural laws. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the eight natural remedies? You all familiar with the eight natural remedies? Yes? No? no. I've heard of that. The eight natural remedies, sunshine, healthy diet, sleep, water, um, exercise, um, abstemiousness, meaning avoiding things that are harmful, fresh air, the eight natural remedies, and, the, and then rest, rest uh, Sabbath rest and physical rest, the eight natural remedies. Well, what, is the, what does science show us, peer-reviewed journal published articles show us, in relationship to the remedies in COVID? COVID and its risk of hospitalization and risk of death in relation to the eight natural remedies. Well, and I've got the references here. If you get the notes, you can click and go see the articles yourself. Plant-based or pescatarian diet reduces hospitalization from COVID by 73%. People who eat a plant-based or pescatarian, pescatarian means fish, fish in your diet. So plant-based with fish. Have a 73% reduction of hospitalization if they get infected with COVID compared to those who don't. Sunshine raises your vitamin D level. Vitamin D in the range between 50 and 100 reduces COVID infections by 80%. Fresh air. Even the government's EPA website states the following, quote, ensuring proper ventilation with outside air can help reduce indoor airborne contaminants, including SARS-CoV-2. They go on to say that's by itself not enough to protect you, and it's right. You don't want to just do fresh air and eat a bad diet and have a low vitamin D. Uh, no, it's, it's not enough by itself, but it 
is even recognized by the government's own websites to be beneficial in reducing infection. And one physician estimates that fresh air into your house regularly reduces, or in places where people gather, reduces COVID transmission by 70 to 80 percent. There have been zero episodes of transmission outdoor in, in fresh air where the wind is blowing. Yeah. Zero. It also has something to do with temperatures outside as well. Temperance. Avoiding harmful substances like alcohol, which the government deemed to be one of the essential businesses to keep open during the lockdowns. But the World Health Organization states, quote, alcohol is a deleterious, has a deleterious effect on your immune system and will not stimulate immunity and virus resistance, unquote. And then in another article, in an article entitled COVID-19 Pandemic and Alcohol Consumption Impacts and Interconnections, the article states, quote, in recent years, conclusive evidence has been gathered that alcohol increases the risk of infectious diseases. It um, goes, lists a whole bunch of them, including SARS-CoV-2. Then it goes on to list all the different ways, I'm not going to read them all to you, that your immune system is compromised by alcohol, and your immune system after one glass of alcohol will be compromised for the next 24 hours. It's listed here, and the research is here. Now, what risk, what is the risk of harm if people eat a plant-based or pescatarian diet, get fresh air and sunshine to keep their vitamin D levels up, and avoid alcohol? What's the risk of harm in doing that? Zero risk of harm, yet these factors, several of them alone, have a greater reduction in disease, hospitalization, and death than the vaccines do. According to the data we have right now, the Pfizer vaccine reduces hospitalization and death by around 42%. The um, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, around 67% reduction. But they carry... Short-term risks that have been well-documented and unknown long-term risks. So here we have lifestyle measures that studies indicate have greater protection than the vaccines while the vaccines add risks that lifestyle measures don't. Why is our church silent on this? Consider the opportunity the church has to advance the principles of God's kingdom. But this research focuses only on the physiological benefits. As Christians, we are interested in more than just what happens to the body. We're interested in what happens to the soul, the spirit, the, the, uh, our eternal life, what's happening to the development of character. That, that is ultimately what matters. I have provided the links to the documents above demonstrating the efficacy of these natural remedies. And let's assume for a moment that, that they all turn out to be accurate studies and there's no question of their validity and their benefit in reducing, as the, the study conclusions say. And we all agree that, in fact, you get these benefits of 73% reduction with, um, with, a, with a healthy diet, a 80% reduction with good vitamin D levels. Let's say that's all true. Would you then support or oppose government and employee mandates that require every person to eat a plant-based or pescatarian diet. <laughs> Raising health insurance premiums on anybody who doesn't eat a pescatarian or plant-based diet. Ban all alcohol consumption and ban it from the whole society until COVID is gone. That all people are required three times a day when the horn sounds in your neighborhood to open your windows, put fans in, and air your homes out that all people must take at least a 15-minute walk in the sunshine every day and get their vitamin D levels checked and supplemented if necessary, that we require this by law and force people to do it on threat of fine, loss of job, etc., etc., etc. Would you support mandating all of this? <laughs> but wait! We read earlier that people are going to argue that, in fact, because uh, COVID vaccines can protect other people's lives, it's righteous to mandate they get them. Well, then why is it not righteous to mandate this that offers no risk? Why would we mandate something that adds risk? There's a corruption happening in the hearts and minds, and there's a corruption in our church. Again, it isn't about the vaccines, folks. I'm going to say that. It's not about the vaccines, whether you got it or didn't get it. That's not the point. It's about the methods. It's about the character. That's the point. This is a worldwide issue that the devil is exploiting to get people to corrupt character by practicing practices that are against God's design, a willingness to coerce other people. 
If you'll coerce them for this, you'll curse them for the next thing that you're convinced is necessary to save lives. I, I received another email. I'm not going to read it because it's fairly long, but it was a, a home health nurse uh, in California. I worked 49 years. She's now retired and describes the, the conflict she's had with her employers and, and what's going on out there. And then with the SDA church, which shut down and had no services for over a year. So she's now going to a Sunday church, which kept the doors open the entire time because uh, she went to fellowship with, with, uh, with Christian believers. Yes. Think how effective. If I would have, we would have gone to an Adventist church back in summer of 2019 and I stood up to any Adventist church in the world and said, how many of you in this organization will support the government shutdown of your church for the next year? There would have been no hands go up. Yet they did. Yet they did. And they still do in many places. Got another uh, email from Australia thanking us for our class uh, expressing their support, um, very distraught because they're under a ma- vaccine mandate. They have to get it by October or lose their job. They have medical conditions that make this dangerous for them. They don't want to get it, but there's no exception. They're very distraught. How many of you have heard, and I, w- I want to see hands on this one, how many of you have heard that the U.S. government approved with full approval the Pfizer COVID vaccine? How many of you believe it's true that it's now fully approved? Wow, I'm glad to see not one hand is raised. Good for you, because it's, it's a big con job, and I'm going to expose that. On August 26, 2021, the president of Loma Linda University, who I have great respect for, and whom I view as a very godly man seeking to promote healthy principles, put out a public letter advocating for the COVID vaccine in which he wrote the following, quote, Pfizer's vaccine is now approved by the FDA for general use, unquote. This statement reveals why we must not let others do our thinking for us. Many of us would hold great confidence in the recommendations of the president of such a prestigious institution who has impeccable medical and public health degrees, yet our decisions and his recommendations are only as good as the information upon which they're based. And that statement reveals that he is basing some of his recommendations anyway on false information. I want to. I had a patient this week who called because her GI doctor told her that now the FDA has approved the Pfizer vaccine that she needs to get it. But it's a big con. It's a fraud. It's a trick. It's purposely crafted deception. I'm going to expose it for you. And I'm going to tell you it's evil. You're going to see the evil here in a moment. The FDA issued an approval to Pfizer's subsidiary, BioNTech, product branded Comirnaty. I don't know how exactly you say it, but it's C-O-M-I-R-N-A-T-Y, Comirnaty. That's what's been approved, fully approved. The original Pfizer-BioNTech experimental vaccine that received emergency use authorization had its emergency use authorization extended or continued. The approval for Comirnaty was approved without any new studies. They relied on the same exact studies that got the emergency use authorization. Further, all previous vaccines, in the process of getting full approval, the FDA required an external advisory committee to review all the data, risks, benefits, and confirm that the FDA's conclusions and positions about that product were correct and that it was safe, effective, and had reasonable risks. In this case, for this new community, the FDA decided that because there was no concerns expressed by anyone about the risks of the experimental injection, that they would waive this external review, and no external review happened. Because there's no concern. Nobody, you've, nobody has any concerns about the experimental vaccine. Come on, people. There was no efficacy studies of the approved product against the Delta variant. But the most egregious of all, the FDA made a sleight-of-hand ruling stating that the approved vaccine can be used interchangeably with the experimental emergency product. So they approve a product with no new data by bypassing the normal external advisory reviews, no testing against Delta. This fully, uh, a fully approved vaccines understand once a vaccine is fully approved in the United States, by law, it can be mandated. 
once it's fully approved. And a fully approved vaccine, if you have to take it, if it's fully approved, there are liability protections. If you get injured, you can sue the manufacturer, you can sue the people who made you take it, you can uh, apply for a compensation from the vaccine fund that that compensates people have from a fully approved vaccine. Now that sounds, at least that part of it, sounds pretty, pretty decent, doesn't it? But here comes the evil part. They purposely crafted and manipulated this document to exploit you and protect Big Pharma and the corporations. This approved product, Comirnaty, is not available in the United States. At least at this time. Whether it will be later, I don't know, but you can't get it here right now. So the FDA, here comes the sleight of hand, watch for it, wrote the internal note that the approved version and the emergency use version can be used interchangeably, but with different legal status. Meaning that the FDA's approved product can now allow employers to mandate you get it, but they don't have it to give, so they're allowed to change that with an emergency use authorization one. So you get the experimental emergency use authorization one that has a different legal status, which means if you get injured, you cannot sue, you cannot file workers' comp, you cannot get reimbursed for damages, you take all the risk, and the, lo- and the manufacturer, the employer, the doctor, nobody has any liability, and the pharmacy, pharmaceutical industry makes billions. Here's the language from the FDA document. I've got the link. You can check it out. I'll read. This is their language, not mine. The licensed vaccine has the same formulation as the emergency use authorized vaccine. That's because there's no difference between them. Continue on. And the products can be used interchangeably to provide the vaccination series without presenting any safety or effectiveness concerns. The products are legally distinct with certain differences that do not impact safety or effectiveness. You don't say the id. You can be required to get it because it's approved, but you can't get the approved one that gives you liability protection. They can exchange and give you the experimental one that gives you no protection and liability-wise, just risk. Do you see the evil in this? This is not accidental. This is not happenstance. This was crafted. It was constructed. It was purposeful. I'm going to call it evil. And the timing of it coming out was purposeful. Yes, it was. Now, is the Adventist health system going along with this? Yes. The information that I have is they are. And if you're an Adventist health system leader, I'm going to call you out and tell you you're wrong. This is not the principle of God. And you should stand up and repent and back off and stop coercing people. God never coerces the conscience. And as a people, we need to stand up at this time in history for the kingdom of truth, love, and liberty. But let's say you are able to get the actual approved one, the community one, the one that has the liability protection. That would give you some legal liability protection. Does that, does, because it's fully approved by the FDA, and let's say it's not only fully approved, it went through the whole vetting process. It actually had an external review board on it. It did the whole thing like it's supposed to. Does that mean you can have great confidence it will always be safe? Well, a study published in the Journal of American Medical Association entitled Post-Market Safety Events Among Novel Therapeutics Approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration Between 2001 and 2010, that's the whole article title, found 222 novel therapeutics were approved and that there were 123 post-market safety events involving 71 of the products. One out of three had a problem. One out of three products that approved had a post-market safety problem that was not seen in the studies. Requiring FDA action. 61 had to put black box warnings of serious side effects and even death from the products. And three had to be withdrawn from market because they caused caused such, such problems. That's not a surprise to us, is it? So even if it does get the full... Oh, and, and the conclusion? Drugs used to treat mental illness and drugs that went through an accelerated approval process had the higher number of events. Surprise, surprise. Another historic deception that Satan has used throughout human history is the idea of exchanging eternal life for temporal life. 
Daniel and the three worthies were faced with the question, save your temporal life by bowing down and exchanging your eternal life. Jesus, the apostles, were threatened. Exchange your eternal life, save your temporal life. You can save your temporal life, give up eternal life. This is a classic one. We see it, don't we? In the Dark Ages, it was also practiced. Consider, but consider, when Jerome and Huss and Tyndale were being martyred, Somebody was losing their eternal life there. Was it Jerome, Huss, and Tyndale? Who, were, who was losing their eternal life in this process? The inquisitors. The inquisitors and those practicing the methods of coercion were hardening their hearts and alienating themselves from God's kingdom. But what do you think the perspective of those who persecuted the, 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 the uh, reformers were? Do you think in their persecutors' minds during the Dark Ages they were saying, Hey, guys, we know we're evil. We know we're wrong. We know we're on Satan's side. And we, and we know that we're killing the righteous. And in doing so, we know we're going to hell and we're going to lose eternal salvation. Do you think that was their mindset? No, they thought they were doing right. And what do you think they thought they were doing? They were saving lives by stopping heresy. They had to do it to save lives. And protecting jurisdictions. And there is a power play. There's always a power and monetary play involved. But not all the prelates that were doing this were involved in the power. They were pawns being used by the people in power. They were deceived into doing it for saving lives. We see this in society today. There are people making big money, and most of the people implementing these coercive tactics, the person who tells you to put your mask on before you get on the airplane, they're not interested. They're not making money in power. They're just a pawn being used by the people making money in power. And so what do we see today? We see the same theme. People are willing to use Satan's methods of deceit, coercion, and threat control in order to save temporal lives from COVID. Now hear me. If you're using those methods, you may be saving some temporal lives at the expense of your eternal life because you're writing Satan's law and character into your character and you're alienating yourself from the kingdom of God. It's a trap. It's a trick. It's a deceit of Satan. Don't buy into it. If you want to advance the vaccines or any other policies, do it with truth, love, and liberty. Leave people free. Let every person be persuaded in their own minds. But as soon as you cross the threshold of coercing and compelling someone's conscience, you are not on God's kingdom or God's side anymore. It's a real spiritual issue. Satan is seeking to deceive, if possible, the very elect. Only those who develop by practice the ability to discern for themselves who have internalized God's design law into their hearts are going to be safe from this deception. Very quickly, there's a couple, couple more points and we're going to bring it to a close. The spiritual elements at war in this COVID pandemic, because it's not about COVID and it's not about the vaccine, it's about the spiritual issues, the two antagonistic principles. One of them, truth versus lies. Look at which side is constantly lying, constantly distorting, constantly censoring, constantly silencing, constantly interfering with the free and open debate. Just some of the lies real quick. The virus is a natural natural wild virus that mutated on its own. There was no gain-of-function research. It did not come from a lab in Wuhan. Dr. Fauci in the NIH was not involved in gain-of-function research funding. Wearing masks actually decreases uh, transmission, hospitalizations, and deaths. There is no effective therapeutic treatments. Vaccine are proven safe. Saving lives is the most important decision we can make. Six feet of distancing must be maintained in order to avoid transmission. I can't say this next word. Um, it is a um, medicine that begins with I, but I'm not allowed to say it. If I say it, the little bots will pick it up and we'll get, we'll get censored. <laughs> but a meta-analysis... Like I have your pectin. Yeah, uh, so, so don't say it. Because um, I don't want to get censored, please. A meta-analysis of 15 su- studies reveal that this, uh, there's evidence of an 86, 86% reduction in COVID infections with this medicine. I've got the link. You can go look at the study. 
But the FDA came out. Here's more deception, more lying from the government. The FDA came out this week warning against the use of this particular product. Why? What was their rationale? Did they say, we've looked at the studies, we've got double-blind placebo-controlled outcome studies, there's no benefit? No. They did not address the question of actual efficacy and safety at all. What they said was that people have been using veterinary doses of medicines, which are a much higher concentration than human doses, and because they've been using veterinary doses, they've been having side effects like a rash or nausea or some side effect. And therefore, you shouldn't use it because it's, uh, you're overdosing and causing yourself problems. So you shouldn't use it. It didn't say shouldn't use the veterinary doses. They shouldn't use this medicine to treat COVID because people are using veterinary doses. And why are people using veterinary doses? Because the same government has put obstacles in the way of getting human-formulated medicines at human doses that would be safe for human beings. They purposely made obstacles, and they started keeping lists of doctors who are prescribing this medicine, and some boards and and, and government agents starting to try and discipline doctors for doing this. Some pharmacists won't fill it. Understand the evil and corruption here. If they had human doses, they wouldn't be taking the veterinary doses, would they? So they caused the problem, caused side effects because people were overdosing on it, and then used the side effects that they're causing by their own bad policies as reasons not to use, but they never addressed the question of actual efficacy. The evil just piles on the evil. Here's another lie. We, the government, want to stop the spread of COVID. (laughs) Exactly. That's why we let 200,000 illegal immigrants into our southern border. Many of them confirmed, tens of thousands confirmed positive COVID, and we actively pay and ship them all over the country, actively infected, because we want to stop the spread. You see, words, reminds me of a president, I did not have relations with that woman. Don't check the evidence, just go with my words. Other ways they deceive when they report the deaths, they're not stratified by age. And so they report total deaths, which are predominantly in the old and the frail and the weak and the ones that have serious medical health problems already. And the young people under 18, the, it, it's, it's statistically virtually zero that you die from this if you're under 18. I think uh, there's 72 million Americans that are under the age of 20 or the age of 18. And I, if I'm, uh, the numbers are changing. The last time I checked, 260 out of 72 million have died. This is not a pandemic of the young. But we've got to mask all the kids at school. You must be terrified and afraid. So we're going to close on this. The question of the risk-benefit analysis. Just consider how your decision-making has been impacted by the false narrative, censored, highly biased media propaganda campaign over the last year and a half that has conditioned you to believe that all of this stuff is virtuous and righteous and just to do because we need to do it to save lives. We need to shut down the schools. We need to shut down the churches. We need to mask the kids. We need to mask the adults. We need to shut down the business. We need to force experimental injections on people because we must save lives. That's the presentation, is it not? And if you think it's reasonable, it's a reasonable justification to do this to save lives, then would you support any of the following on the same principle it's necessary to save lives? And we can make these interventions with a higher certainty, with a 100% certainty that if we do it, we will save millions of lives. Millions. Over, over a million lives worldwide a year on the first one. And the first intervention, would you vote for it? Because we could save lives. A universal governor on all vehicles except emergency vehicles that will restrict speed limit to 25 miles per hour. (laughs) You're laughing. Do you understand if we did that and all vehicles could not go faster than 25 miles an hour, there would be more than 1 million lives saved from motor vehicle accidents every year. Worldwide. What is wrong with you people? If you don't want to vote for this, is this because you don't care about life? You're selfish? That you don't want, to, you don't love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you'd be willing to do this, wouldn't you? If you're unwilling to do this, are you a sociopath? You like to see people die? You see, these are the arguments they give if you don't want to get the vaccine. That you don't love your neighbor, you want people to die. Or how about this? A ban on all fast food restaurants, sodas, and tobacco products, and mandate plant-based and pescatarian diet. 
We know with 100% certainty, if we did this population-wise, wide, we would have, we would save millions of deaths, but not only we'd have millions of deaths, we'd save, we'd improve the quality of life, and we'd have the disease burden on the population go way down. It would be tremendous. So on the principle of we need to do all this stuff to save lives from COVID, then we should do these other things, right? Do you all, do you all support that? <laughs> do you see if you have bought into this lie that this is righteous use of power, your mind has been warped. It is not. It's a perversion. But think if we did the dietary one. If we did that one, I want you to see another, another reason. This is, this is, we're, we're battling against principalities and powers of darkness. If we did the dietary one and mandate it and it happened and people really, all the fast food, junk food, all this stuff's gone, plant, whole food, diet for everybody, not only would they live longer and have better lives, but do you know how many chronic diseases would go away in our society? And if the chronic diseases go away, like hypertension, adult onset diabetes, hypercholesterolemia, and most of these things go away, how many billions of dollars did the pharmaceutical industry not make anymore? Do you understand that the world health view is not about keeping people healthy, it's about keeping them chronically sick so they can sell you something to treat your symptoms? You think I'm making that up? And so now have you heard? It's not just the first sec- injection, it's not just the second injection. Now you're going to get a third ejection. I've got the article linked here that they've just uh, announced they're going to uh, move it up from eight months from the last one to six months. And then it's going to probably be annual, that you're going to need your annual COVID injection. The whole world, 7 billion people every year, $25 a shot. Think of the money that somebody's making. You turn your immune system into a subscription service. It's Netflix for your uh, immune system. We have a better way. All we have to do is return to the principles of God's kingdom. It's not ultimately about your body anyway. It's about your character. And I see so many people being motivated by fear. Some people call it panic porn. That's what's happening. The media is porning your brain with panic. Constant messaging that keeps you afraid and, and, and fear and love are antagonistic. And when you become afraid, you're willing to buy into the false narratives and you're willing to use methods that hurt others. We have a message, the final message of mercy, the light in the world for Christ's return is the truth about his character of love. And love is always truthful. It stands for what's right. It doesn't give in to the pressure. And it's time for our people to stand up and give the final message of mercy. The principles that we were blessed with as a people, if we live those principles out, we are really pretty much immune from this thing. Better, according to the data, better um, immunity and better protection than getting the injection with no risks. Let's close with prayer. Jesus, our friend, our Savior, we so need you at this time. The world is really being assaulted in an intense way like never before in minds and hearts. And, our, and your own Adventist institutions, Lord, are, are, are under assault. Pray that your Holy Spirit we poured out. Dispatch your angels to hold back evil forces. Bring conviction to the leadership that they will repent and, and embrace your methods. And if they believe a certain action, sure, let them present it, but have them practice your principles of, of truth, love, and liberty and not compel and not coerce the consciences of good people who who living the lifestyle and presenting their bodies as living sacrifices, the evidence suggests don't need to take these risks. Lord, we want to be your agents this time in human history. Give us greater discernment, greater wisdom, and greater love. This, this time we pray in your holy name. Amen.